Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Today's message is from a guest speaker. We pray this message speaks to you. Let's dive into the Word of God tonight. Typically, I begin with Scripture, but tonight I want to start with a chart. How many chart people do we have out there? When you see organized information, you just feel the peace of God settle in upon you. Uh, some people, their theology is like a junk drawer and you can't find anything. And so we're going we're gonna to put some file folders here. Tonight, our subject is praying in the Spirit. And um, there's, there's a point of confusion that is so common across the body of Christ, but thankfully, as always, the Bible gives us the clarity that we need to help us kind of navigate this. So um, we want to look at, at this idea of praying in the Spirit, and with that comes, we have to face this issue first before we go in any farther, and that is that the Bible shows us there are two very different types or kinds of tongue speaking. Now remember, the word tongue that's used there is actually just the word language. So it's not like there's some special word like it's this you know, thing in your mouth or like the worship leader, uh, uh, Gene Simmons. But it's not like that. It's just the word language, okay? The idea of it is it's a language you don't understand. The speaker, the person doing it, doesn't understand, but they're getting prompting from God and speaking it. Biblically, speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, Uh, speaking in the unlearned language, whatever terminology you want to use, is not one thing, it's two things. They're organically the same in that the person speaking is not speaking out of their intelligence, but they're speaking, the prompting from the Holy Spirit is flowing to their spirit, and they're obeying based on their knowledge of how God works and who he is and the word of God. In a trust way, they're saying the things God is prompting them to say. And often, all the while, their brain is going, that sounds nutty. All right, but, um, but the two different expressions of tongues have two very different purposes, outcomes, points, participants, all these things. So let's look at this if we can. Go to the next one, if you would, and uh, let's take a look at some of these issues. Uh, go one more ahead. That should not be there. That's the wrong teaching, I think. Do you have praying in tongues back there? You don't have praying in tongues. Well, let's get it real quick. You don't mind if we have a little technical issue, do you? So that Sunday, that's tomorrow mornings. Um, yeah, a little preview for tomorrow. This doesn't bother me. I hope it doesn't bother you. I mean, if people aren't bleeding and dying, nothing's a big deal. Um, So I'm going to email this to, there you go. Oh, I could airdrop it, couldn't I? You want to do that? Oh, it's actually on some Google Drive, though. Look, this is my first time ever to speak. I'm really sorry. Um, Okay, here it's coming your way, my brother. I have like five open emails here. How did we ever get along without Siri? There you go, just like magic, it's to you. All right, thanks, guys. Um, so anyway, let's talk about this just for a second. I don't we need the slides. Um, so the Bible shows us two very different types of tongue speaking. Um, one, we're going to label as personal tongues. How many of you are a person? And you have a tongue, so you're qualified, all right? 
Personal tongues would be the equivalent, biblically, of praying in tongues. And then secondly, we have public tongues, which is a public gifting, but it's actually only 50% of a gifting. What's the other 50%? The interpretation of tongues. Now, of praying in tongues, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, all of you can do this, everyone. Of praying or of, of public tongues with interpretation in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 30, Paul says, not everyone is going to do this. I'm sorry, it was, it was 14, 4 was the first verse that everyone should pray in tongues. But a public gift of tongues with interpretation, Paul says, not everyone is going to do that. Because the word tongues or languages is used and because the organic flow is the same, the, the mechanism is the same, the Holy Spirit prompting you to say something he wants you to say in a language you don't understand, a lot of people go, oh, well, that's, you know, but the Bible shows us there's very different purpose. Paul even uses two very different words in the Greek to describe them. In 1 Corinthians 14, actually, when you look for it, you look for him using different words, you begin to see that's a large part of his under, uh, teaching to them is the propriety of the two things. He's trying to help them to understand when it's appropriate to do this, when it's appropriate to do that. He's trying to help them so they don't have a lot of public, uninterpreted tongues going on that could maybe cause confusion to the uh, un people that don't understand that are coming in. He uses for personal tongues the normal Greek verb to pray, prosukamai, the normal Greek verb for pray, for the personal tongues that every one of us as believers have the possibility of experiencing. The Bible teaches us that personal tongues, you and I praying in the Spirit, um, doesn't really need anybody else's attention. It won't hurt them if they hear it, but it, it doesn't need anyone else's attention. It's not for them. And who does, when someone prays in tongues, who is getting built up? They are, that person, it builds them up. And personal tongues does not require any interpretation. Um, the Bible says, actually, never really gives us the idea that personal tongues could be interpreted. However, there's this little um, nuance there. He says, let him that speaks out, laleo, which is the public one, speak out in tongues, pray also that they may interpret. But that's really speaking about a public thing there. But here's the caveat God is a verbal God, and this, the idea that on an occasion God could give you an interpretation for what you're praying in tongues or some understanding would be right in the flow, would not be non-biblical or anti-biblical, it would actually be in the flow of things God does. So like so many things in the Bible, there's a typical, usual way God does things, and then there's an, an atypical or unusual way God does things. So for example, uh, like hearing the gospel, what are some of the normal ways people hear the gospel? Preaching, anything else? Reading, witness, radio. They typically hear it through a human channel, a human messenger, right? But then you've got this Acts 9 business where God knocks a persecutor to the ground, puts scales in his eyes, and speaks in with an audible voice, right? Like we hear as we travel around the Muslim world, I mean, Jesus is busy at nighttime in people's dreams. I mean, it's crazy. And, um, you know, there's no borders, there's no uh, shut doors for him. And so you have the gospel kind of going in that way. So that would be the atypical, unusual way, but the normal way is through a human messenger. And that's kind of the same principle. You'll find this with the things of God. There's a normal way, regular, typical way God does things, and an atypical, unusual way God does things. So as a Christian, which one should we pursue? We should pursue, well, yeah, both is a good answer. We, we should pursue the things that we know biblically are mandated for us, the usuals, and then if the unusual happens, then we celebrate that. 
But a lot of people, they, they kind of mess up their appetites with the Lord because they only pursue the exotic, unusual things. And those may or may not happen, but we go with the bread and butter, the things that God wants for us, that we know the things we're mandated and commanded to go. So thanks so much, guys. You're awesome. How many think we should uh, believe God for an extra zircon and their heavenly crown for that? You guys are awesome. Thank you. Um, so personal tongues for prayer and worship, it's for everyone. 1 Corinthians 14.5 encourages the individual, the one praying. Doesn't need anyone else's attention, but it's not going to hurt them if they hear it. Um, it would be the sign confirming spirit baptism. We'll talk about that more in a moment whenever there's details in Scripture of how people responded when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. The sign the apostles always recognized is that the person spoke in tongues. Could there be other things? That belongs to God. We've got to go with the straight data in the Bible, right? Anything else is conjecture, so we go with the data in the Bible. Um, No interpretation required. God could do that. But praying in tongues is never called the gift of tongues. A lot of times there's confusion there, and that kind of blurs the lines. So personal tongues, you praying for prayer or for worship. Romans 8, we'll look at that in a moment. Uh, Or worship, uh, we think of um, verse 6 and 7. We also think here, and and 14 actually, and we also think about Acts 2.9. They hear them declaring the wonders of God uh, in our own languages. This one's for everyone. But how many have ever been around someone running from God, even when you're alone? Right? So if you've ever been around someone backsliding, running from God, they know one verse in the Bible. Do you know what it might be? Well, Jesus wept. That's a good one, yeah. Especially if you're cutting onions, right? Um, no, it's judge not, right? It means like, get off my back, don't judge me, which is not at all what that verse means. But usually backsliders are not really concerned with accurate biblical interpretation. Um, but don't, you know, all of us on some level out of our human pride, we don't want to look stupid, right? Have you succeeded in that? I haven't, right? Um, but we don't want to look dumb. So of all the things the Holy Spirit does, all of his activities, people really don't complain if they get raised up off of a deathbed and a healing. Uh, they don't complain if they have, you know, some kind of miraculous provision or protection or guidance. But of all the things the Holy Spirit does, of all the giftings that could take place, the one thing that just messes with people's pride is tongues. Because you have to get over yourself looking foolish. You have to get over intellectual barriers. Um, Pastor Isaac Canales says that tongues is God's practical joke on human pride, you know? And it really is that case. You have, to, you, have to get over, you have to get over yourself in order to function in that. So um, the one verse every believer who has any kind of bias, whether misunderstood or accurate, and they're just, you can't get over it, the one verse every person that has a bias against tongues knows is 1 Corinthians 12.30. Do all speak in tongues? Nope. Then get off my case. Leave me alone, right? But 1 Corinthians 12.30, under public tongues here, um, Paul says very clearly, it starts in verse 28, he has previously listed out the nine manifestation gifts of the Spirit, right? You read about those? And in, he's now making his swings around, and he's, making, he's talking about public worship in chapter 12. Um, he swings around now, and he's talking about um, how there's one body with many parts. People operate in different giftings in different ways and different things. And he says, do all work miracles? No. Do all have a gift of healing? No. Do all public tongues, laleo, entirely different verb than prosukamai to pray. Do all do the public speak out loud tongues thing? No. Do all interpret the public tongues? No. 
He's clearly speaking, even calls it by the same thing, the public ministry gift, not the personal gift or ability of praying in tongues. And of that one, God's not going to make you everyone, uh, he's not going to give us, rather, I should say, a prompting, all of us, to be operating in that gift. Now, over the years, you'll see, uh, well, I'll get back to that statement, it encourages who? Everybody else. If you've ever been used in public tongues or interpretation, you may not have been blessed very much. Instead, you may have sweat rings around your armpits, right? Uh, may make you pee a little sometimes, too, out of fear, right? Um, is it okay if I say pee? Because I just said it twice. Okay. Um, it's important because a lot of people think before, maybe uh, before they have interacted with the things of the Spirit more personally, they just think that the Holy Spirit comes upon someone, possesses them like an animatronic, and makes them do something, and then that person wakes up two weeks later in the drainage ditch behind the church in their underwear with a bean can on their head going, what happened to me, you know? But it's not that way at all. The Bible says clearly in the same portion, the spirit of the prophet is what? Subject to the prophet. In other words, God uses your permissive cooperation, right? He doesn't make us but he uses us as we yield to him. He's not a bully. And so he uses us in these ways. So people that are brand new to the moving of the Holy Spirit, they misunderstand and they think, because typically the first time you hear someone speak in tongues in the general would be in a public assembly if you're in a church that practices in that. And they go, usually people's first response is that's weird and a little bit wonderful at the same time. You know, maybe more weird than wonderful because they haven't ever heard that before, and then the next time they hear it, and they, you know, the interpretation, and it kind of, they're like, hmm, and, you know, their heart racing, their palms sweating, and it kind of begins to speak to them, and they begin to realize, and their heart opens up to it, but when you're being used in that gift, you're putting yourself out there, aren't you? Because you're going, I really, to the best of my ability, believe this prompting is from God, and, you know, people's number one fear, they say, is public speaking. Have you heard that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, not because I'm a public speaker, but how about this one? Being fed feet first into a wood chipper while being covered in cats, you know? I mean, that's a, that would be, that's a much better fear if you're going to have one while Nickelback is playing in the background, you know, and, and, you know, Cowboys fans all around you riding, you know? I mean, I can think of, I can think of a lot of things more fearful than that. But um, it's, it's just one of those things people are all afraid. So, so when, when you feel that prompting, say in a service like tonight, that gift and that prompting the first time it happens for you, um, you may not feel a lot of benefit, a lot of edification, a lot of building up. Instead, you may feel the natural process of pride manifesting through fear. Not fear that you're going to die, but fear that you're going to make a mistake or that it's not right or that it's the wrong timing, all those things. And so usually when that's happening, the person that's being used in that, a lot of times they have quite a bit of an emotional friction release taking place there because the the tension of I'm putting myself out there. So a lot of times you'll have that. How many know emotion doesn't validate something, right? Like if that's the case, then Benji movies would be like the most spiritual thing, you know? Uh, But that's not the way it is at all. How many remember Benji? Yeah, poor dog. Um, you know, they swapped him out over the years with like a new Benji all the time and never told anyone. It's total fraud. It's a sham. Someone's going to pay for that, I think. But um, it, it requires everyone's attention. If there's a public gifting in tongues, that's with an interpretation, 
Um, it requires that everyone hears and understands. That's why it's so incredibly important that if you're using that gift, that, that uh, you follow whatever the protocol, each church can have its own protocol. Paul does it with the Corinthian church. He get, puts the restriction, no more than two, maybe three, you know, you guys, but you can all prophesy. And he's trying to give them some, some things. The reason why this is important is the whole point of the gift is that there's understanding that comes through the interpretation. So, for example, I always share with people, and I won't spend too much time on this, but I always share with folks, if you're being used in the interpretation or gift of prophecy, your main goal is not to do it. Your main goal is that everyone can clearly hear it. Have you ever been in one of those drive-by prophecy moments? You know, you're in, they're that kind of transition between songs, and all of a sudden somebody from the third from back row with a little mousy voice with a big emotional shake, you can't even understand what they're saying. They give something, and you go, what in the world? You know, well, I think I heard Jesus in there, and maybe truck stop. I'm not sure. What, what was that? And, uh, and you can't understand. That is the evidence of a poorly delivered gift. That person has failed in that moment because nobody understood it, or hardly only the people three rows away understood it. The idea of it is that everyone should be built up. It's, very, it's like receiving a package in the mail that's all been beat up and the content spilled out. I mean, yeah, it was delivered, but it wasn't delivered accurately, right? So there needs to make sure, and then also in these days where streaming services and things like that, uh, I believe that the scope of what God would say would go to anyone in the audience, and it's important. And also, I want to tell you, I'm kind of a fan of a microphone shoved in someone's mouth if they're in public gifting, uh, because it really makes them step up their game. And uh, it, it says, we're, if this is accountable, how many believe all these gifts are accountable, right? And so, so this requires everyone's attention. It's never the sign of spirit baptism in Scripture. Public tongues with interpretation never is the sign of spirit baptism. Um, now, this is important because and may, many of you have been around for a while. How many have been around Jesus for a while? been around for a while, you're fixtures, you're sitting in your assigned seats tonight, when you raise your hand or you stretch the cobweb from your elbow to your hip, you know, you, you've been around. But a lot of people that are new to this, they, because their only experience with tongue speaking is the public gift with interpretation, and then all of a sudden they hear that, that tongues is associated with spirit baptism, this is the number one question I get from new people on this. They come up kind of like Nicodemus in the night after a service, and they say, um, hey, I want to receive the baptism in the Spirit, but I'm real concerned about that tongues thing because I've been in a church service when that happens and it sounds cathartic and out of control and I'm just afraid that God's going to make me do that in Walmart. <laughs> I'm going to be in the vegetable aisle by the zucchini, which kind of sounds Pentecostal. And and uh, all of a sudden, God's going to push the manual override button. My arms are going to fly up and tomatoes are going to go everywhere. And all of a sudden, I'm going to scream out in tongues over the produce section. And then someone would peek their head around from the coffee filters. For the Lord would say to the, you know. Now, that's funny to us that have been around for a while. But can you see, not understanding the two very different types of tongues, how that could cause someone misunderstanding and concern? Public tongues with interpretation is never the sign of spirit baptism in the Bible. You go, wait a minute, what about Acts 2, the day of Pentecost? Acts 2 was personal tongues with bilingual eavesdroppers, right? They understood the 
not the speaker didn't understand the language, the hearers understood. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in 13 listed languages out of the 120 that were there. They understood a portion of them. And so this one is called the gift of tongues. It, of course, requires interpretation. So I want to set that framework out real quick because I think it's so important for us to understand that there's order in these things. It's not fly by the seat of your pants. Oh, Sister Smith came up here and spoke in tongues and laid an egg, glory to God, you know, and whatever. But that there's order and there's meaning to these things. And we hold these things when done properly, we hold them with high regard. Now, the final question on this, a public tongues with interpretation, um, should we write those down and add them in the back of our Bible? Where do they fit? Uh, are, would, they, would we hold them in esteem like we would a scripture? No. The Bible is, is done. I mean, it's God, God put the end on it. It's all done. These words would only reflect to something biblical and would remind us of some attribute or promise of God to engender and stir faith or confidence. As Paul said, they would edify, they would build up, they would encourage, they would strengthen us, or they would console us. They would calm us down. They would bring peace to us. So it's not like new revelation where, you know, thus saith the Lord, there are now five people in the Trinity, you know. If you hear that, that's not Bible. So that would be untrue, and we would take that person out back and slap them silly. And so, um, or I believe actually your church's protocol is the atomic wedgie, if I read your bylaws (laughs) properly. And so so this is something that, um, you know, two very different things. So of praying in tongues, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 5, or... or, uh, Uh, 14, 4, and 5, Paul says, every one of you can do this. If you're a born-again believer, the experience of you praying in tongues is available to you. Of the public gift of tongues and interpretation, not for everyone. And most people go, thank God, you know, um, because of the public nature of it. Now listen, no one ever needs to ever hear you pray in tongues. That's between you and the Lord. But for a Christian to fold their arms and go, I don't want anything to do with that, all of a sudden now, you begin to get selective obedience before the Lord. And how many of you know selective obedience isn't obedience at all? And it puts you in a very closed spot. In context, praying in tongues is not the most important thing that happens in your life. Um, it's not even probably among the top three things. Well, you know, the most important thing, you've been born again, you pray, you read your Bible, you go to church, you know. I mean, those would be the most important things. But, but praying in tongues is not the most important things, but it is among the important things in a healthy believer's life. The Bible never says, thou shalt pray in tongues 17 and a half minutes every day or else you're terrible. There's no scripture like that. There's no litmus test. But Paul says, I want you all to do this. And we'll look, at, we'll look at some of that in just a moment. So why don't you stand with me real quick? My introductions are always longer than my teaching. And uh, I usually am not emailing notes from the platform, but you guys are awesome. Thanks for being a pinch. Um, so let's look for just a moment, if we can, at these next couple verses. This is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is setting up um, the letter. 1 Corinthians was Paul's response to a letter he had received from the Corinthian church, or perhaps letters. The, the wording is a little difficult to understand. Maybe it was a bunch of text messages or something. But he's trying to respond to their questions. And you've read 1 Corinthians, right? So you'll hear Paul's major sent- transitional sentences, now about this, now about that. Now I hear there's lawsuits among you. Now I hear there's immorality among you that even gives the heathens the willies. Sorry if your name is Willie. But uh, it's a, just a, uh, a figure of speech. But uh, then, you know, now about spiritual gifts, now about the coming of the Lord, now about the Lord's Supper. And he, you know, he uses this, he's addressing these uh, 
these topical things line by line. In 1 Corinthians, the end of 1 Corinthians 1, after his greeting and what we call chapter 2, that, that portion, he is setting out the outline and introducing a lot of the subjects he's going to be talking about. Where we start off, he's touching on heaven, um, God preparing things for those who love him. But then he goes into the Corinthian church opening up and understanding the seemingly more mystical ways of the Holy Spirit. This is important because Corinth uh, was a Greco-Roman city. They had, you know, all their idol worship and all this stuff going on. They, um, they were, the Greco-Roman culture looked for superior wisdom. Like our idiom today would be like, drop the mic. You know, wow, that was a great, you know, if a mine falls in the forest, does anybody care? Who cares? Wow, oh, mind blown. Wow, you know, who cares if it makes a sound? Mimes are terrible. You know, wow, I just can't. I can't even, wow, what, what wisdom, what, you know. And so that's kind of the way the Greco-Roman world looked. They felt God when they felt there was supernatural wisdom being released. But Paul says the Jews look for what? They look for a sign. That's because they're people of the sign, the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, the, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, but Paul says what? Jesus is what? Both the wisdom and the power of God for us. So no matter what your orientation is in looking to see, find God, he does. And some people are wired up to be experientially a little stronger that way. And other people are wired up to be more uh, intellectual that way. And it's not good or bad either way. We're just wired up differently on some things. And Paul says, hey, guess what? Jesus is here to meet with all of us the way were wired up. So, so Paul is trying to introduce now the largest issue that he'll deal with in this letter is spiritual gifts, lofty spiritual things, the things that seem a little mystical. And he's trying early in the letter to set up the people that are more bent towards wisdom to get a little more open to what they perceive to be the mystical ways of the Spirit. So let's read this together if we can. Let me get out of your way so you can see it. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For whom? Except the Spirit of the man which is in him. Even so... Except the Spirit of God. And we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray, God, in these next couple moments um, that you will stir our hearts to understand you more, to experience you more. God, I pray that you tear down, dismantle our pride. We are always getting in your way, all of us. And I just pray tonight, God, that you would use this time of, of just examining your word together to help us to humble ourselves so that we can receive ever, ever increasingly more of what you have for us. Lord, teach us tonight how not only to be people of the mind, but to be people of the spirit as well. And I thank you, Lord, for helping us tonight. And Lord, it's entirely all right with us 
if you just want to move around and heal people and set people free and minister. We just welcome your moving, the dynamic moving of your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I know you're here, but would you manifest yourself? I pray even right now that many would suddenly sense your healing, restoring, powerful presence beginning to fall upon them. I thank you, God, tonight for even uh, touching the the young woman struggling with panic attacks and night terrors. And we just thank you, God, for ministering to all sorts of illnesses and disease and issues, bringing peace and guidance, breaking bondages. Have your way, Lord. If it's from you, our answer is yes, Lord, send it. We want it if it comes from you. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you like. Hey, thanks for the water, whoever. Is that pastor? Oh, way to go. Thank you so much. Anybody else want one while he's up? Okay. Could we go back to that first scripture slide, please? And let's just, let's just unpack some of this. I'm coming by, I'm not coming by the iceberg. I've determined it's an iceberg. It's very cool. Very, very cool. Hope it's not like prophetic because like any Titanic reference. Okay, so Paul says, just as it's written, things which the eye has not seen or ear has not heard and um, not even entered the heart of man. And we kind of, I even led you in the wrong way in reading it, but The Greek here is all those things, the things that you can't grasp through your mind, all those things God has prepared for those who love him. It's his reflective talk towards heaven, which is chapter 15, the coming of the Lord in heaven. But he also is tying this in, trying to knit the whole thing together into one big lump here introductorily. So this raises a real interesting question, at least to me, and I'd appreciate if you act like it was towards you as well. Um, and that is, how does a human being, how many people are humans? Two types of people. There are human beings and then there are Browns fans, right? So if, if you're a human being, how do you gather input from the world around you? Your five senses. So how many of you can see, which is good because I'm wiping the junk off my glasses right now. Um, how many of you can hear? How many of you can taste? How many of you are sitting by someone that smells? Okay, so you have your five senses and you can perceive the input from the world around you. Now, how then do your senses play in the supernatural realm, the realm of the spirit? Do your five senses, are your five senses accurate in discerning the supernatural realm? No, but yet we use sensory language all the time. Like for example, how many have ever felt like God has led you, guided you, you've heard his voice at some level or another. Okay, hopefully it's everybody. So what did it sound like? Did it sound like James Earl Jones, you know? Um, could you have pulled out your iPhone and recorded it? I heard the voice of God. People go, oh no, that's the audible voice of God. I don't like that word, that drives me nuts because it usually is, you know, people go, well, I heard God say, and someone else goes, well, I heard the audible voice of God, you know, which is like higher up. My grandmother from Southern Illinois had a response to people like that when they get a bit uppity. She would say, well, smell me. That was her, you know. I'm not sure what it meant, but it's just kind of, the, kind of that way. But um, it's the idea. So let's think about the audible voice of God. Acts 9, Saul of Tarsus hears the audible voice of God, right? But do you remember if you've read it recently? Did any of his companions hear God's voice? So what does audible mean? This means you can hear it. But could you record it? I don't, I don't know. 
We use other senses in a metaphorical, emotionally metaphorical, experientially metaphorical way. We'll say, well, I saw a vision. Maybe God's shown you something. The Lord showed me this, that. Well, yeah, but could you have taken a picture of it? Well, there are accounts in the Bible where everybody saw handwriting on the wall, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, you know, all that stuff, uh, smoke on the water, all kinds of stuff. But, oh, sorry, that was deep purple. But um, there, there are different times that it, it was indeed visual, but could you have taken a picture of it? Well, the, answer, the accurate answer is, I don't know, probably not, maybe, I don't know. Um, so we have, uh, or how about this? How many of you felt God's presence tonight in worship? Mm-hmm. What did it feel like? Did it feel like sandpaper or corduroy or was it cold? Was it hot? What, you know, what did it, well, that's not what I meant. I mean, I, oh, you meant that you were, you were aware in your inner being of something? Like even when people go, I feel warm. If you take, put a thermometer under their tongue, they're probably not any hotter than they were before. Maybe, I don't know. It depends if they're sitting on a hot plate or not. But it, it's, it probably is not related to physical sensation but it's related to a spiritual triggering in the inner being, right? So when we use the five senses, it, it's not in a, in a spiritual way. I heard the Lord. I saw the Lord. You know, I, he showed me something. I heard his voice. I felt something. Um, when we use those, we're using them in emotional or in metaphorical ways, experientially metaphorical ways, right? And that's fine. Don't keep on doing it. It's fine. But we're not really saying accurately, I felt the Lord, he was, you know, th- this is what he felt like. He felt, you know, it's, it's a different thing. So what then do we have to help us to navigate the supernatural realm in experiencing God? The five senses don't work. What do we have? We have two things from the Holy Spirit. First of all, does anybody know who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1.21, God moved upon holy men of old by the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures. So the Holy Spirit, at the end of the day, is the author of the book. He motivated the, the, the quill, the pen, whereas Paul, he was a transcription, a transcriber, right? He wasn't, he, he had a, a, a stenographer with him, you know. But um, to move, to speak, to write. So the, it was the same voice. It doesn't mean that everything that Paul preached would have made it in the Bible, just what God chose to be preserved timelessly for us, right? That's collection. Like uh, Paul even talks about uh, the letter that he wrote to the uh, Laodicea, which didn't make it in the Bible, you know? So, I mean, you know, there's just that selection. He redacted and picked things that he wanted to be timelessly revealed for us. But then again, not everything Paul spoke. Paul's shopping list at Walmart is not in the Bible. You know, it's not like everything he spoke was, was Bible, but just those things made it there, Luke or whomever it may be. So we have the word of God, And then we have the ministry or revelation from the Holy Spirit. Now, the way these function together, both things are how we navigate the supernatural, and they both deal with the Holy Spirit. So we live in Wichita, Kansas, and Wichita, Kansas is a little over half a million people in the middle of nowhere. You've got to go three hours to see another human being. If you ever saw Planet of the Apes, just right outside of town is where the head of the Statue of Liberty is laying beside the cliff. It's just right in Wichita, um, the Forbidden Zone. Um, and so you got to go three hours to Kansas City, three hours to Oklahoma City. There's a lot of ranches there, a lot of cattle, more cattle in Kansas than, than people. And um, why I bring that up is like the metaphor, the, the word of God is like the ranch property with a fence around it. Everything inside of that fence is the property of God. Okay, everything inside is from the word of God. Now, the word of God reveals everything about God that we need to know in our lifetime. But is God bigger than his word? Of course he is. 
Even John, uh, there's actually a scripture on this, John 20, uh, 21 rather, um, no, it's 20. John says, um, I suppose if everything were written down that Jesus didn't taught while he was on the earth, all the world wouldn't contain the books. It's hyperbole, but it's saying, but these signs were selected, they were redacted, they were picked for the purpose of you believing. And when believing in him, you would find life in his name. So there's a reason, you know, God is much bigger than his word, but his word contains everything we need to know. That's the border. But the Holy Spirit wrote that. And then the activity, the revelation of the Spirit operates inside of the fence. This way and this way, um, sometimes God would move over here and he'll reveal to you. Usually the prompting, the leading of the Spirit is more activational than informational. He's not telling you anything new. You know, when you're like, you always knew in your heart that one day God was going to call you to be a missionary to the unreached people of Tatooine. You always felt that. But now all of a sudden that prophetic word, go to the sand people that came in your heart and you even feel a passion towards the Jawas as well because your heart of compassion is just so big um, uh, for the little. And so you decided to go and, and uh, you know, but you, that's not in new information to you. It's activating something that God had already been revealing in your heart and life based on the word, you know, the teaching of the word of God. So the five senses are not bad or wrong. They're just unreliable when we get into things of the spirit. So Paul's saying, listen, the things that God wants to do is not even entered into the heart of man all those things God's preparing for us in heaven, it's going to be awesome then. But then the next one, please. But to us now, so bringing back to the present tense, not just heaven. How many know we live now, right? Um, God has revealed those things, the things which the senses cannot grasp. How? Through the Spirit. And then he goes on to give understanding. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. One of my favorite hymns, how, um, how Deep Is Your Love. But then he goes on to say, for who among men knows that? So here's his reflective anecdote here. So who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit, the intangible of the man which is in him, right? Nobody knows your thoughts like, except for the Lord, you know, and your spouse. And then... Um, for who among men does the thoughts of a man accept the spirit of the man which is in him? That's a natural uh, uh, example. Then the next one, please. Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now just park on that phrase, thoughts of God, for a moment. Let it sink in. Like what kind of computer processor does he have? Wow, thoughts of God. What is he thinking? I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he's mad at you. <laughs> a lot of people mistake the narrative of their mother-in-law for the thoughts of God. That's not the way it is. The thoughts of God, who knows? Nobody except who? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is not some archangel on a power trip. He is God's personal spirit. He never does anything outside of the character and nature of God. Most people are afraid of the Holy Spirit because they've heard of what he does to people. But I want to tell you, all the bad press the Holy Spirit has gotten has not been his fault. It's been people's fault. They blame things on the Holy Spirit that often the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with. Oh, the Holy Spirit told me to spray down all the streets with anointing oil uh, and then all of a sudden people are falling and breaking their hip. Well, God told me to do it, you know. God told me to march around the city in my BVDs and singing, you know, worship choruses. And, you know, then I got arrested. But I'm just like Paul now. I'm being persecuted. No, you're a doofus. 
That's the problem. That's not even a Greek word, you know? But it's just, don't blame stuff on the Holy Spirit. If it's good, it's from the Holy Spirit. If it's within the fence, it's from the Holy Spirit. If it's outside of the fence, it's someone misunderstanding or blatantly deceiving, right? So you can trust everything because he's God's personal spirit. Now, Paul says, now we Christians have received not the lowercase s spirit who is from the world. And there's one of those, isn't there? But we have received the spirit, capital S, who is from God. Did you know that everyone who is born again, how many of you have given your lives to Christ? If your neighbor doesn't lift their hand, lean over real quick and lead them to Jesus, all right? Yeah, I'm glad you raised your hand back there. I was concerned about you before service. I know you work in the church. Um, but uh, the, a lot of times people misunderstand and they go, well, wait a minute, I thought I, got, I get the Holy Spirit when I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. Confusing terms for people. The Bible makes it clear there's more scripture on this than any other work of the Spirit in the Bible. The moment you and I are saved or born again immediately, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Every person, you are, your carcass, your body, your soma is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's there to guide, lead, help you. And primarily when you're born again, the, the inward, inward work of the Spirit is primarily for inward transformation, Right? I mean, it does help you in other ways, but it's primarily for that. When you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Bible only uses external uh, prepositions. Um, the clothing of the Spirit, the outward epipipto, he falls like your epidermis, your outer layer, he fall, piptos to fall, so he falls on you outwardly, you know? So it's like when you're born again, the Lord takes that donut right out of the fryer, and he puts the needle of his love inside and fills the inner part with chocolate filling. How many are feeling the Lord like I am? I, I feel Jesus here. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. He fills you with the chocolate of his spirit. Hmm. I'm pretty sure that's biblical. But when you get baptized in the spirit, he takes that chocolate-filled donut that still looks like a donut on the outside, and he dunks that in chocolate. So you have the inward work for personal transformation, and then you have the outward for outward service. And he gives you supernatural bit of the clothing of the Spirit's power to do ministry, right? So he says, we've received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? So that we may know revelation. Not new like, oh, I just, the Lord just showed me I'm the third eagle of the apocalypse now, and I need to be called that. I need to print that on my business cards. You know, people get all weird about that stuff. Not extra biblical, not outside of the fence, but most often revelatory within what the word, always within what the word of God says. But he's activating us and helping us to know those things freely, not stingily. Big word there. Um, it's not, well, once every six years we should have a prophecy in our church. I should hear the voice of God only at major transitional times in my life. I remember when I was 21, I just prayed and sought, Lord, is it really too, is it taste great or less filling? Which one, Lord? Please tell me. I need to know. And at times of crossroads in life, I know. But how many know you can hear God's voice as much as you lean in, as much as you invite? Uh, I, I love, it's actually something Jesus said to Satan, um, which is, you know, kind of a, a funny thing. But um, when he's being tempted, Satan goes, hey, you know, turn these rocks into donuts, you know? Um, and it's a, just a running theme tonight, sorry. But Jesus said what? Man shall not live by donuts alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Not occasional words, not once in a blue moon, but every word. 
Now, I know we have no way of knowing this here, but how many of you think that maybe we've missed a few of those over the years in our own life? What would it be like if we knew the things God was freely giving to us? How? By the Spirit. By the Spirit. So some people go, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just, I'm a Berean. I just study the Bible, which is always a funny thing, you know. Um, by the way, you know, the Bible says the Bereans were more noble than the other believers because they studied the Scripture. Did you notice the Bereans didn't say of themselves, we are more noble than other Christians? So whenever someone says, well, I'm a Berean, that means I am proud. I'm filled with arrogance, and I'm using my own intelligence to make you feel small, right? So don't call yourself a Berean. But um, it's, it's one of those things. They go, well, that's just the way this is. But it's not. Um, the Holy Spirit wants to activate the things of God in our life so we can know what he wants us to know. We may know the things freely, frequently given to us, generously given. It harkens back to James 1.5. If anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God and he'll give it to you generously. He's just waiting for you to ask. Heaven is pregnant with the answer. He's waiting to help you. Then look at the next one. Uh, should be one back. Uh, which things, these things we also speak. So he's, the things that he wants to reveal to us, he also wants us to communicate. But they're not spoken in words informed by human wisdom. Why would that be important? Because the Corinthian context was all about wisdom, Socratic wisdom, you know, all that sort of thing, Aristotelian wisdom, that whole concept of, you know, we're smarter than everyone else and this is where this comes from. So again, he's not saying, he's saying this God stuff is smart, but it's not human smart. It, sometimes it defies. Have you ever noticed that God likes, though he created the laws of nature, he has no, feels no obligation to follow them himself? So, these things we speak, but not in human words. We speak them in words taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts or concepts with spiritual words. Now he's starting to break into prophetic things that he'll teach about prophecy, tongues, interpretation, praying in the Spirit later on. But then look at the last slide of the Scripture, please. But a natural man. This is psuchikos in the Greek. It's where we get our word psychology from. It literally means a person without the Spirit. Not a spirit person, but a natural person. Person not born again. A person that's not born again does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Does that shock you? No. Why? They're foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. All they have is the five senses. They don't have the Word of God and the Spirit of God living inside of them to help them. So they don't have the equipment to process it. it. It doesn't make any sense. There's no gauge on their dashboard for this. They don't know what they're experiencing. An illustration of this. Um, some time ago, there, uh, maybe several months ago, probably six months ago now, there's a, a, a TV show um, on like a daytime talk show. It's a bunch of ladies. I think it's called The View. And so, okay, well, apparently you don't like it. Okay, so the, the visceral response was, was palpable. But... Um, 
apparently one of the people, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but one of the people on The View made a comment regarding our vice president, who I don't know personally, but he appears like he has a pretty solid testimony before the Lord, whether or not you agree with politics on any side or another, a Christian's a Christian, right? Born again. And so it appears like he has a very strong Christian testimony uh, and evidenced by his tenure in Indiana and, and things like that. But um, he had made some statement, and I'm butchering, but some statement like he felt God speak to him or heard God's voice. And, and this commentator on The View said, well, that's kind of what people say that are crazy or belong in an institution or something along those lines, saying that that was a symptom of mental illness, right? Okay. And man, the Christians went nuts over this lady. And I, I'm kind of don't like Facebook anyway, because all the nice people quit a long time ago. And now it's all people typing all caps and they're always ranting about something. Oh, the price of pickles are 60 cents more, a giant eagle. What's wrong? Antichrist has come, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it's all this... How many know your, your social media status is the church sign in front of your house, in your yard, right? That's your big chance to make a difference, and you put complaints up there and all that stuff. Good night. I believe there should be a scripture, thou shalt put a cork in it. Um, it would be a good one. It's not in the Bible. That's in 3 Timothy, which I'm working on, which is not canonical. Um, that's right after the portion of tube socks with flip-flops, which is a no-no um, in God's eyes. Um, but... Christians went crazy. Oh, we need to boycott her. She's terrible. We need to demand her to be fired and all this stuff. Crucify, burn her. She's a witch. You know, I mean, this was the, this was the, the thing. But why should that surprise us? She never made any test. Matter of fact, of anything, she would classify herself, I believe, as an atheist. Why would we be surprised that she doesn't have the equipment to process this? She's a lost person. She's supposed to act lost. Why would we, what would Jesus do with lost people? Would he boycott them? What would he do? He'd love them. He'd take them out for dinner. Jesus didn't hang out with the Pharisees. He hung out with the sinners, tax collectors, publicans, etc. That's who he hung out with. And not Republicans, just publicans, you know? <laughs> well, insert your own stuff in there. And so it's interesting to me. Our natural proud reaction is to try to defend God. God. So you're going to stand in front of him and take a bullet for him because he's not powerful enough? You're smarter than he is? You see what I'm saying? This human pride stuff flares up all the time. Now, the Bible does talk about boycotting people. Paul says, if a believer is contradicting the word of God in certain ways, 1 Corinthians, warn them once, and after that, have nothing to do with them. If you're going to boycott someone, don't boycott the lost. They need Jesus. If you're going to boycott anybody, boycott a hypocrite, right? By the way, how many of you are recovering hypocrites like me, right? But you see how upside down our worldview can get spiritually when we're one-sided? These things, lost people act like lost people. People go, I'm boycotting Target because they have bathroom confusion. I'm boycotting Starbucks because they give money to something I don't believe in, whatever. They never profess to be a Christian organization. So stopping Christians going there, well, we're not shopping here because you're, you know, what would that help? How, how are we going to be salt and light in a place we have no presence? It doesn't make any sense. And so we have to, we have to get biblical. The Holy Spirit helps us to rightly understand things. And some Christians trust in their own coconut more than they trust in the leading of the Spirit. Let's talk about that. We're almost done. Go to the next one if we can. 
So this is a visualization here for us. We have some things in our spiritual life fit in the mind bucket. I can understand, I can study to show myself approved, I can do certain behaviors and not do certain behaviors concretely. And a lot of Christians, they live over here, the majority of their Christianity is in the mind bucket. And only occasionally, only like Pentecost Sunday night when they let the dove out of the dove cage and let them swing around the church and then put some peanut butter on their finger, come on back in, you know. Lock them up till next year. Give him a handful of bird seed, hope he makes it through the year, you know. And the mind people, because of human pride, feel of themselves that they are superior to people that live over in the spirit bucket because they're weird. Man, the, oh, do you see that one lady, man? The moment they start the first quarter of the worship song, she's up there with a flag and a streamer dancing around, and, you know, she's finger painting in the air and the spirit. You always add the word in the spirit to anything it makes it sound. You know, I was, you know, carving out in the spirit, whatever it is. I, you add, and, oh, they're just, so, you know, so we're all oh, that one church, man, they're so loony. They dim the lights and turn the smoke machines on, and then they start going, dancing, jumping around, and it's just so weird. These are comments of people that are uncomfortable with coloring outside of the lines. Now, I'm not saying that everything that's a little off is the Holy Spirit, because it's not. But have you discovered there's some latitude in worshiping and serving the Lord? It doesn't have to be done the way my tradition expresses it. Like, when you go to Africa, um, if you're not dancing, there's something wrong with you. They're going to pray for you to get healed so you can dance again, <laughs> right? And Jesus did say, lay down the boogie, and play that funky music till you die. Did he not? No, but, you know, I grew up dancing was a sin, you know? But the Bible's all full of appropriate dancing and worship in the Lord's presence. But just because I'm uncomfortable with it and a little awkward with it, I go, well, I don't have to do it. See what I'm saying? So we have all of, we put our own personal tradition. Oh, I just wish... And I grew up with hymns too, but I just wish we went back to the day when we sang the hymns like Blessed Assurance, like the apostles sung on the day of Pentecost. You know? Most of the songs that we consider to be classic are less than 100 years old. You know, the, probably the oldest one in our hymnal is I Sing the Mighty Power of God, Isaac Watts, or, or maybe, um, you know, uh, Mighty Fortress is Our God, you know, Martin Luther. All the other ones were within the last 100, 150 years. So that's only the church tradition as we know it. And I like old songs. I, like new. I don't care as long as they're meaningful. That's the whole point. As long as they bleed me to Christ, you know, and it's magnificent. But I share that to say, this mind business will put the lid on the spiritual expression in your life. But it's not all bad or wrong. It's just when that's the only equipment. When you're trying to navigate the spirit things with the five senses and the proud human will you will always quench the spirit. That's why Stephen said to the religious leaders who were bound by their own tradition in Acts 6 before they stoned him, you stiff-necked people, why do you always resist the Holy Spirit? It is the natural inclination of the proud human mind and flesh to not let God take them out of its lazy boy. But it's also equally wrong just to be in the spirit bucket. Oh, I don't need to read the Bible because the Holy Spirit appears to me every night in the form of a bat and tells me what to do, you know? I mean, there are people that are so weird. I know people that literally, they, have, they come with, with notepads full of prophetic words they've received over the years, but they haven't read the Bible in years. 
You know, it's like, what in the world? They, they think anything that's spontaneous has to be of God. But the word of God, that's so passe. Pastor preaches, I don't know that, that's fine. You know, but that's not the way it should be. Where should we be in this? Balanced. God for, forbid us ever getting balanced in our pursuit of him because then we'd actually really turn this world upside down. So, you know, we have one foot in the word of God, one foot in, in the mind, the understanding of the senses and the, the known things, and then one foot in the things of the spirit, and they comp- complement each other and help us to be balanced. Many of you have dormant, inactive, undiscovered, powerful, supernatural giftings from the Holy Spirit. But you haven't ever discovered them because you haven't, you're, haven't ever freed yourself enough to get out of your own restraints. I mean, who's sitting here tonight with a powerful gift of healing? Paul, pretty much the way he spells it out in 1 Corinthians 12, says there's going to be people like that in every church. Have you discovered it yet? Maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one with a strong prophetic gifting, or maybe you're the intercessor that walks in revelation from God and prays the secret things in prayer before the Lord. The things uh, like are spoken of the prophet of old. He says things that I, I speak in my bedroom alone, privately, you know. Have you discovered it yet? If you stay in the mind bucket, you'll never discover those things. So he's helping us to bridge the gap now. Now, how does all this factor into praying in the spirit? Let me show you real quick. Look at the next one. So first of all, praying in tongues is not intellectually fulfilling. It's not a mind thing. It's spiritually fulfilling. When you pray in tongues, you don't know what you're saying. It doesn't make any sense. The whole premise of tongues is not understanding. It's obedient trust. Right? So look at a couple of scriptures. Go to the next one if you would. 1 Corinthians 14, 14 and 15. For if I pray prosukamai in a tongue, what is praying? My brain? What's praying? My spirit is praying and my mind is unfruitful. A lot of people are surprised by that when they first pray in the spirit. They're like, well, wait a minute. I, I'm still aware. And they're surprised that they can still think. They thought, like, oh, I just thought when you, you first pray in the Spirit that God puts the chloroform rag of the Holy Spirit over your mouth and you pass out and then, you know. I see like 30 people fanning. Whoever's got the air conditioning button, be, be so warned. Um, but uh, it's, it's one of those things. I just thought, oh, I just thought I was, you know, passed out. But when you, how many of when you first prayed in tongues, you didn't realize that you'd still be awake? I mean, it's a very common thing for people. I didn't realize. So what most people, the mind kicks in because the mind goes, hey, that's my mouth. I'm the one that usually controls that. I'm the one that's usually thinking of what I should say beforehand. Hey, what are you doing? That's my mouth. The brain begins to then criticize the spirit things. Oh, you're, well, you know, I mean, I mean, maybe one of those syllables is from God, but the rest is a mess. That one part you just said right there, that sounds like a 50s doo-wop song and that other part right there, that sounds like what eat at the Chinese buffet on Sundays. And that other part over there, that sounds like the chorus to deck the halls. What in the world are you doing? Your mind is unfruitful. So Paul says, because of that, what will I do? A person with both feet in the mind bucket says, therefore, I'm not going to do it because it's uncomfortable to my mind, which I have grown to coddle and nurture. And that's why they don't have a nurtured spirit. Paul says, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to do it anyway. I will pray with the spirit, he puts that first, and I will pray with the mind also. And then he adds, I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. In other words, I'm going to let every part of my Christian life be mind and spirit. 
And then you get balanced. Then look at the next one. Uh, we'll skip that one. Go to the next one, please. A second, praying in tongues is perfect prayer and vitally important. People go, well, what are you saying when you pray in tongues? Well, the Bible recounts that when we pray in tongues, one of two things can happen. Usually, it's prayer, intercessory prayer, praying for some need, but we don't know what it is. People go, well, I, sound, I say the same syllables over and over again. I say the same words a lot. Well, don't you do that in English? Help me, Lord. You know, whatever. It's the same, right? Um, but the Bible also tells us in Acts 2.9, it could be declaring the wonders of God or like 14.15 there. It could be singing, you know, or, or expressing worship in that plane. But it's perfect and important. Let's look at how Paul places importance on it. Go to Ephesians first here, 6.18. The most commonly word used in Ephesians is what? All. All. Hyperbole. Paul's using the device of everything. It's an overstatement to hammer in the most important things in life. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. He's not saying, if on the surface you go, he's telling us only to pray in the Spirit, which he uses synonymously for praying in tongues, right? People go, wait a minute, I think praying in the Spirit is just when you pray with extra Red Bull spiritually. But we don't have the luxury of telling Paul what he means. Paul uses pray in tongues and pray in the Spirit synonymously in 1 Corinthians 14. So you gotta go with him. You can't go with your own opinion on that or else all of a sudden, now the word of God is not interpreting itself. We are, and then we're in trouble. But by a surface reading, you'd say, oh, that's the most important thing, only pray in the Spirit. Don't share your faith, don't read your Bible, don't eat, don't bathe, you know. That's not what he's saying. He's using the device of overstatement to say, this is among the important things. Now look at the next one, if you would. So Romans chapter eight, you'll notice here that Paul uses a lot of the same language. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. He doesn't help us in our pride, He doesn't perfect his strength in us when we know what we're doing. He perfects his strength in us in our weakness. Aren't you thankful for that? When we feel the lowest and weakest, that is the greatest opportunity of our lives to experience help from the Holy Spirit. I love that. Um, For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. You see what he did there? superimpose both buckets on top of each other when he's dealing with the Spirit's work. For us, it feels real separate, but for God, it's the same thing. God merges who he is in his supernatural ways because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So let's say, and I'm being silly, but say your tongues is yabba-dabba-doo, all right? I'm being, that's not tongues. Um, But it's actually caveman, I believe. But um, say it's all you ever pray, and you go, man, Lord, my, my language is so small, and it seems so, you know, and when I hear Sister Rubber Lips over there praying, it just sounds like she's auctioneering in Swahili, and, you know, wow, Lord, you know, but me, it's, you're praying exactly what God has for you. No more, no less. That's it, when you pray in tongues. And so a lot of people get all bummed out about, it. oh, I, you're praying what God has given you. That's, that's your responsibility. That's it. And you're praying, you're saying, Lord, I trust you. I'm gonna pray in the known, but I'm also gonna trust you to take me to places I can't get to. Then look at the last one, if you would. Praying in the Spirit trains my will and my flesh to yield to the Holy Spirit. So this is, God never makes you do anything. 
He's waiting for you to cooperate. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. He's waiting for you and I to give him permission to cooperate with him. Praying in the Spirit is not a passive act. It's a cooperative act. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Holy Spirit was giving them the utterance. Who spoke? They spoke. Who gave the prompting? The Holy Spirit. There's partnership on every level. And so when I pray in tongues, I'm demanding that my will, which usually sits on the throne of my life, my intellect, my mind, my will, my emotions, I'm demanding that to come down from its lofty ruling place and I'm doing something that my spirit says, the Bible says is authentic and real, but my mind goes, well, it sounds like a bunch of nonsense. But every time I pray in tongues, I'm demanding my will and my flesh to unseat itself and I'm letting the spirit to ascend to the top. Now, Think about that. The more you pray in the Spirit, the Bible never says, thou shalt pray in the Spirit X amount every day, but the more you pray in the Spirit, the more you work that rusty hinge, like an old gate you can't open up. So can you see how being flexible and being pliable and fluent in that particular activity of saying, mind, you're good, you get me through life, you help me not to get run over by a car, you help me not put my hand on a burner, it's good, help me balance my checkbook, but when it comes to trusting in the Spirit, I gotta command you to come down and the Word of God and the prompting of the Spirit to come forth. Can you see then by exercising that how that could benefit other areas in your life? Like how many times you, oh man, I should have talked to that person about the Lord. Oh, but I was afraid. I wasn't sure it was God. But when you're practicing, mind come down, pride come down, spirit bubble up, you're, you're working this process that it becomes much more natural. Like you ever been in a service when you're like, man, somebody should have prophesied. That was a spot. Somebody should have done a tongues and interpretation. Why do you think you knew that? because you're just on God's memo list of, hey, this is what I'm going to do today? You knew that should have happened because God was activating you, but your pride was going, no. How do I know that? Test case number one. Somebody needs to go to the hospital and pray for, you know, Brother Blackbeard. You know, he's got a hook and a patch and a peg leg and scurvy probably too. I wish somebody would go do that. Why do you feel burdened to do that? Because you're the one. But your pride says, no, somebody, here am I, Lord, send Ralph. <laughs> so practicing this helps us to get things in balance. I want us to stand up real quick. It's late. It is 11.30 in the morning already. You guys have been, been late. Thanks for letting me be long-winded. We're trying to pack a whole week's worth of meetings in, in one. We've done it. Now, we're going to go to pray, and I want to ask, would you pray with me for like 10 or 15 minutes? Okay? Um, and I want to ask you not to pray like appeasingly clock-watching, really making your shopping list in the, for Walmart in the back of your brain on the way out, but I want you to really go for it and pray and dive in. Don't pray according to what you feel. If you pray according to what you feel, you'll receive bare minimums from God because you will rarely ever feel like praying, right? We pray based on what we know. The first I shared with the leaders earlier, the first two or three or five minutes of prayer time is usually clunky and awkward and distracted. You have to push through. But if you'll push through, God will begin to move in your life. And prayer is the normal way people receive from God. So if you want to, anybody want to receive from God? All right, we're going to receive. Now, so here's just what's going to happen. Um, in a moment, um, someone's going to, yeah, it'd be great. Keys or, or if you have a, yeah, it'd be awesome. And we'll just play, play instrumental in this singing, all right? Uh, maybe some Aerosmith would be good. Uh, but um, when, we, when we go to prayer, 
I want to ask you two things. Number one, I'm going to ask everybody in this room, even the Pennsylvania Dutch, I'm going to ask you to pray out loud. Now, you don't have to yell, please don't scream. But I want you to use your physical mouth and voice, even if it's whispers, if you're praying something very, very secret, whisper, cover your mouth, nobody will hear. All right? But no one can read your lips when you do that. Um, but I, I, want, I want us to pray out loud. I want you to, to engage your physical body, your brain, your soul, every part of you as holistically as possible in prayer. Um, and again, if you're deeply private, you can go face in a pew and cover your mouth and duct tape your head in the corner, whatever you want to do. But use your voice. It will help you keep your train of thought when you pray also. You won't get off the rails. You know, you have an external otter when you stop praying. You're like, oh, I need to start. You can pray about anything you want, no rules. But I want to ask you, to the best of your ability tonight, while the Holy Spirit is moving over you, would you try, as he's moving, to yield to pray in tongues? It's not like, well, we're not letting you out until you pray in tongues. Everyone needs to come up here on the mic and give a syllable. Burp their Tupperware before you go home. It's not like that at all. But Because I wouldn't want to feel contrived or mandated about that. I'm really uncomfortable with that. But I want to ask you to try your best to yield. Some of you have not yet experienced the wonder of praying in tongues. Tonight, God has a special gift for you. He wants to give that. He wants to install that in your life. So anywhere is fair game in a moment. And I encourage you to get out from your seats and just find a different place to play. The only place I want to reserve is just up here in the front. If you want to experience the wonder of praying in tongues for the first time, maybe you also feel like, well, that happened to me years ago at camp or something, and I just feel like it's dormant. I can't get there again. Or maybe you say, you know what? I think that happened kind of, but I've always had a question mark. Tonight is the night for God to erase questions marks on that, okay? So if that's the case, you say, I want to experience that for the first time, or I feel like it's lost, or I've, I want you to come in just a moment when we invite people forward, and I want you just to put your toes against the front edge of the stage, side to side, steps, whatever. If your toes are again, not if you're standing one foot back, but if your toes are against the front edge, we have installed electrodes all the way around here. No, no, no. It's just a real easy way for myself and the prayer partners who will gently and kindly and lovingly pray for you. It's just a real real easy way for them and myself to know how to pray for you. That's all that it is. It identifies that. Plus, it's so funny, but in the 20 plus years I've been doing that, it never fails. Usually there's a bunch of people that the moment their toes hit the stage, it happens for them. I think it's just kind of the the way of God, you know, when you humble yourself and, you, you know, God does those things. But otherwise, we're just going to be praying about other things. But for those of you um, that are going to be yielding and praying in the Spirit, which I hope is I hope is everyone, from the youngest child to the eldest senior, even people that have questions and concerns about it, the flow is you draw near to God, and when the Holy Spirit begins to move upon you, when you begin to sense Him, how many have sensed the Holy Spirit before? At that moment, if you will quiet the mind... Not get in some catatonic state, but if you'll just stop speaking, quiet yourself, and just listen to the inner being, the Holy Spirit will begin to give you the utterance. It's there. Many of you have been praying for this for years, but you haven't ever yielded to it. Tonight's the night to try it out. God will put training wheels on your bicycle, you know? And when the Holy Spirit's upon you, listen, when you really sense Him, quiet. And at that moment, whatever He prompts you to do, just begin to follow it. 
begin to follow it. Many of you will have a physical prompting where you feel like you need to say something. If that's the case, just begin to let some sound out. Sound is not tongue, but let a uh, whatever, let it out. It's no big deal. It's not a pass or fail thing. Try to give your physical voice to the moving of the spirit. Like God is, like your mouth is a, a, the bell of the trumpet and God is breathing through. Just let the sound out and relax your mouth and discover what it's like to yield. You'll find your tongue will go this way and your lips will go this way and all of a sudden the consonant will form. Let it happen. Others of you, when the spirit of God is upon you, the way he'll prompt you is with an awareness prompting. All of a sudden, you'll just like, this funny sounding word is just there. It bubbled up from the inner being. You're like, wow, where'd that come from? That's God saying, say it. Just begin to yield and follow. But if you want to develop more of a fluency, and if you, when you begin to pray in tongues, if you just turn your volume up just a little, you don't have to yell, but remove the restriction of fear by punching fear in the face with volume. Turn it up a little bit instead of muttering. Turn it up. And when you do, then just relax. Allow your lips to dance and move. You're going to find there's most often a lot more in there than just one or two syllables. The Bible uses the word language to express it which is more than just one word or two. And so we're going to let it flow tonight, and God will heal and do what he always does. So why don't you, without begging and pleading and singing a million courses, would you get out from where you are and just find a place to seek the Lord for, for 10 minutes with me? Would you do it? Come on, let's just begin to pray out loud. Just discipline yourself just to dive right in. Lord, I love you, and I need you so much. While you're beginning to pray, if you have never asked Jesus to forgive you, you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you're not sure that you're saved, going to heaven, if you would right now just begin to talk to Jesus, you can do this. This is you seeking the Lord. Just begin to confess Jesus as Savior. Begin to ask him to forgive you. It's not a special prayer to pray. It's you humbling yourself and calling on the Lord. Anyone that wants to experience the wonder of praying in the Spirit, come now real quick. Stand up, set your toes to the front, and just begin to pray and draw near to the Lord. If you've had questions about it, this is the time for God to reinforce this. And prayer partners, if you can help me. Yeah, awesome. God's got such great things for you guys. I'm so excited. Come on, let's just lift our voices to the Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Breathe on us, we pray. Breathe on us. Those of you that are praying to experience praying in the spirit for the first time, you're all doing amazing. Just keep on drawing near to God. There's no hurry. When his spirit begins to move upon you, somehow inside, he's going to start nudging you and prompting you. Your normal human fear is saying, I'm going to make a mistake. I don't want to be presumptuous. But when the spirit of God is upon you, just quiet yourself down and listen. Follow whatever the prompting is. Everything in your mind, in your brain is going to say, don't. Everything in your spirit is going to say, do. So follow your spirit. Follow that prompting. Is it bubbling up? Maybe God will make you aware of some words. He'll make you feel like you need to speak. Just follow him. It's bubbling up right now. We just pray right now that it's bubble up fresh. 
bubble up fresh right now all over this room. If, if you're able to and you'd like to participate, would you just join me if you can in lifting our voices to God in that heavenly language? And as you're able to do that, would you just pray a little bit louder? Turn up the volume. It's like opening up the spigot so it's not just dripping. Let it splash everywhere and just relax. Some of you may even receive a brand new language from God. Just take a few moments and just begin to yield. Some of you, yeah, let it flow. Folks, people are being filled up here all right and left. It's awesome. If it hasn't happened for you yet, there's nothing wrong. Just keep on drawing near. But I just feel the presence of the Lord out here, and I just want to be obedient. Um, I, I felt during the worship service, the Lord lay on my heart. Um, specifically, it was a lady struggling with panic attacks, uh, night terror, stuff like that. But I just want to open it up. If you, um, I always like to have more respond than just the one, because receiving from God is not like a lotto. But if, if you have any kind of panic attack, anxiety, night terrors, or, or you want to stand in for a loved one that does, I want you real quick just to come and stand in the middle of one of these aisles real quick. Just real quick. Say, that's me or that's a loved one. We're not even going to ask. It's none of our business. Just come and stand in the middle of one of these, one of these aisles anywhere. You don't, you don't even have to come forward. Just in the middle of the aisle is fine. And then I want some believers around. Would you come? I want at least two or three people to come and put a hand on a shoulder and pray with each one. Would you help me? Okay. Come on. I need to hope you're, you're all the prayer team. You can pray in English. You can pray in tongues. Your job is just to smother and slather the love of God on these friends. All right? We're believing God to either help them or their family member. If you're praying for, for yourself or freedom for a loved one, you could, I, here's my instructions. If you'd like to follow, just rehearse it to God, Lord. This is what they're going through. This is what I'm going through. Just talk it to him. And once you've stated it to him again, you're re-trusting in prayer. After you've done that, I encourage you then just to quiet yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to fall upon you. Others are going to pray. They're going to hear from God. They're going to help you. Yeah.
Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.